So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, fourth and, and uh, we have uh, Christmas Eve coming, but this is sort of the final Sunday of Advent and, it, and it's culminated, culminating in the coming. And Advent is celebrated on the four Sundays, if you've been here, uh, before Christmas. And during each of these four Sundays, we've focused on one, uh, a different aspect of Advent, a different aspect of what Christ brought into our world when he came. Three weeks ago, we focused on hope. You guys are so smart. Uh, Not wishful thinking, but a, a, a confident expectation based on the promises of God's word. Hope comes through Christ. Two weeks ago, we focused on peace. It's kind of hidden over there. We don't have a lit up peace. I guess they couldn't find one. So, uh, But peace, uh, not the end of war between nations, but peace between God and man. Peace that comes only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Peace that is established by the blood of Christ. Peace that only comes through to those who put their faith in Christ. And that peace uh, then for those that put their faith in Christ then enters into our heart and we have peace in our heart. And peace comes through Christ. And last week we focused on, where is it? Oh, it's right here. Joy. All right. We saw that the joy that Christ brings is different from the joy the world claims to have. It's not less, though, it's more. The joy that Christ brings is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural joy that the world cannot understand. It's not based on earthly, temporal circumstances, but it's based on your eternal circumstances. It's found in your relationship with God. It's found in abiding in Christ, abiding in His love, abiding in His Word, and bearing fruit. For his glory. Joy comes through Christ. The coming of Jesus was the coming of hope, the coming of peace, the coming of joy. Now, this uh, final week of Advent, we come to the coming of, of love. And so, as we've done in weeks past, I'd like you to watch this video. Just prepare your hearts for the love that Christ brings. All right. So as we've asked again uh, each week in our different aspects of Advent, uh, we ask today, uh, what, is, what is love? Now, if there's a, a more loaded question, maybe a more difficult question, then I'm unaware of it. Love is probably the most uh, misunderstood word in the English language. We love, uh, we love lots of stuff. We love Star Wars. Woo-hoo. Have you seen them? I'm going to, the, to a movie after church today. But it's not Star Wars. I'm going to see It's a Wonderful Life at the Fox Theater. I've seen it a million times. I don't know why I'm going to the Fox Theater. My wife just wants to do that. So I do it. So we love Star Wars. Some of us love Star Trek. All right. We love pizza. And we love people. We love football. And we love family. We love coffee, and we love Christ. You can see why we're a little confused about what love is. But whatever it is, I think we can agree that it's important. 
Our singers sing about it. The Beatles said, all you need is... Sorry, Jamie, could you come lead us? All you need is love. Our philosophers philosophize about it. Sophocles, he lived a long time ago. That's why there's no photos of him. He said, one word frees us of all the weight and pain of life. That word is love. Our, 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 Our authors write about it. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, love doesn't make the world go round. Love is what makes the ride worthwhile. Our preachers preach about it. Billy Graham said, whatever you love most be it sports, pleasure, business, or God, that is your God. Civil rights leaders, religious and civil rights leaders, uh, talk about it. Martin Luther King said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Even the common man writes letters and poetry about it. I have a shoebox in a closet in our house, filled with the love letters that I wrote my, my wife. I threw away all the ones I wrote to other people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I, but she, I, she got the most. There's a shoebox full of them. So love is important. So back to the question. What is love? Even if we remove the, uh, let's say, frivolous things we talked about, the pizza and the, the, the Star Wars, Star Trek, the football, the coffee... We're still left with a a number of different kinds of love, even that the Bible talks about. There is uh, self-love. In Scripture, this is actually just assumed. There's no command to love yourself. It's just assumed you do. Jesus said uh, the second greatest commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's a given that you'll love yourself. It's built in. But this verse also shows that there there should be a love for other people, your neighbors. Love your neighbor. And when the the world talks about love, they're usually talking about this love between people, especially uh, romantic love. There's also love for God. This is the subject of the, the great commandment or the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with I'm sorry, I'm making sure this is the right one. With all your soul and with all your mind. The Bible has much to say about about these types of love. But they're not our topic for today. This morning, as we speak of the coming of Christ, as we speak of the coming of love, we're going to limit our focus uh, to the greatest love ever known. The greatest love story ever told. We're going to talk about God's love for us, God's love for humanity, for for people, the love that resulted in Christmas, the love that resulted in Emmanuel, God with us. And some of us know that that the Greek word that the New Testament uses for this kind of love, God's love for man, is the word agape. You heard that? What we think of as as selfless, as giving love, we sometimes call it unconditional love. This is the love that is in many ways foreign uh, to us, to humanity, beyond our comprehension. In In fact, agape love seems to be, if you study it, it seems to be a, a virtually a Christian invention. 
The word agape, the actual Greek word, existed before the the writing of the New Testament. But it's in the New Testament that it finds its meaning. New meaning for a new thing, a new kind of love. According to the Dictionary of New Testament Theology, I love to read the dictionaries of New Testament, it's very helpful. Agape, the word agape, prior to the New Testament, is often quite uh, is, is often quite colorless as a word, appearing frequently as an alternative to or a, a synonym with eros, which is romantic love, or a phileo, which is brotherly or friendship love. It meant to be fond of, to treat respectively, respectfully, or to be pleased with. But in the New Testament, it's, it's there that the writers fill this word agape with the meaning that it has for us today. Paul seems to be doing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verses 4 through 7, he writes, Love or agape is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Prior to the the New Testament, this word agape didn't really mean all of those things. But now, agape has a new meaning. And based on this new meaning given in the New Testament, I think we can summarize agape love this way. Love, agape, is is a heartfelt, it's an emotional thing. It's a heartfelt desire that leads to selfless actions with the intention of doing what is best for another individual. Okay, it's, it's a heartfelt desire, leads to selfless action, doing what's best for others, for the individual that you have love for. In his book, uh, Love is a Costly Thing, Dick Hills, a missionary to China, shares this story and it illustrates this kind of love. She was lying on the ground. In her arms, she held a tiny baby girl. As I put a cooked sweet potato into her outstretched hand, I wondered if she would uh, live until morning. Her strength was almost gone, but her tired eyes acknowledged my gift. The sweet potato could help so little, but it was all I had. Taking a, a bite, she chewed it carefully. Then placing her mouth over her baby's mouth, she forced the soft, warm food into the tiny throat. Although the mother was starving, She used the entire potato to keep her baby alive. Exhausted from her effort, she dropped her head. She dropped her head on the ground and closed her eyes. In a few minutes, the baby was asleep. I later learned that during the night, the mother's heart stopped. But her little girl lived. This is a a human example of agape, heartfelt, selfless love. And this is the kind of love that God has for humanity, for us. It's a selfless, sacrificial love that leads Him to take action on our behalf. Action that will result in what's best for us. And that's certainly certainly what our main text for this morning proclaims. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, this is my favorite Christmas verse. Last year, we actually spent four Sundays talking about this particular verse during Christmas time, during Advent, and it is uh, 
John 3.16. You're familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So let's look closer at this, at this, what this verse teaches us about God's love. That's what we're talking about, God's love for us. God's love that resulted in the sending of Jesus Christ. Let's examine the love that resulted in Christ coming to us in Emmanuel. And the first thing we see is that love comes from God. Love comes from God. Love begins with God. For God so loved. God's love for the world causes Him to involve Himself in our lives. It causes Him to take action on our behalf. Because love, because of the love the Creator has, he, He's chosen to involve Himself with His creation. We know that God loves us because it's seen through the actions that He takes. But my question is this. Have you thought about this? The question is why? Why does God love us? We ask one another sometimes, I ask my wife too often, why do you love me? What's, what's here to love? But I think we make a mistake when we try to understand God's motives uh, based on our own. In general, I love or we love because we see something lovely in another person. We see something lovely, to, something to, to love. I love my wife because, and there's like, I could give you a vast list of things how do I love thee? Let me count the ways, the poet says. When we love, there is usually a because. And that because, think about this, that because, I love you because, gives glory, lifts up, honors the person who is being loved, right? I love you because you're beautiful. That's glorifying your beauty. And that's okay. Just imagine if your wife, your girlfriend, your spouse asked you, why do you love me? And you were to answer, no reason. I'm just a a loving kind of guy. That wouldn't really go over well. We love for reasons. But this is not the same for God, and we need to understand that. God loves because it's in His very nature to love, because God is a kind of loving guy. The Apostle John wrote, God is love. Love starts with God. Love is defined by God. When God loves, there is a reason. But that reason is because of who He is. God loves not because of what the object of His love has to offer Him. Think about that. What do we have to offer God? God loves because of who he is. God has no needs. The Apostle Paul makes this really abundantly clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let me just read the beginning first. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Because of God's great love for us, because of his rich mercy, because of God's nature, because God is love, he made us alive with Christ. It's been said that God, God's love for us 
that because God loved the, for so loved the world, it shows us just how worthy we must be. If God loves me, I must be awesome. This idea may be helpful to someone who needs the, their self-image lifted up, some self-esteem, but, it, but is it true? Is it biblical? Let's finish reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. God's love comes even we, when we are dead. God's love for you comes when you are dead. We are literally, God loves us, when we are literally the walking dead. Not the zombie kind, but you know what I'm talking about. Now it's possible that you might continue to, uh, to feel love for someone after they've died. I continue to feel, uh, remember and feel love for my grandmother who's passed on. But your love is based on your experience when they were alive. My grandmother loved me and cared for me, and so I continue to have fond memories and love for her. God loves when we were dead, before there was any experience of life to cause Him to love us. We can take no credit for God's love. We can't say we are worthy. We can say that we were dead in our trespasses. We can, in humility, say that without the love of God, we would have stayed dead. There would be no new birth, no offer of eternal life in Christ. God's love is not based on who we are or what we've done. It's based on who He is and what He does. And therefore, He gets the glory for His love. Instead of, of the, the, the loved one being praised for their lovely, oh, how I love you, let me count the ways. The one who loves is praised for his willingness to love even the unlovely, the dead. Now there's an application here for us. As I seek to love others, because all of our love is, is an echo, it's a derivative, it comes from the love of God. To whatever extent, and I'm sure many of us uh, love our children and love our, our spouses, and even sometimes we're able to love beyond that. But to whatever extent we're able to love like God does, it's only because of His work in our lives. Because He's given us the gift of His love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. When we're able to love selflessly, sacrificially, caring for the needs of others, as the, the video was talking about, giving out blankets, any, any way. God is the source of, of that love, of all true love. Love comes from God. And His love comes, and this is our second point, love comes to the world. For God so loved the world. The, the, wor- the, the word world in Greek is the word cosmos. And in this context, it refers to all people, to all of fallen, sinful humanity, all of the walking dead, 
all that need salvation. The angel said to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Because of God's love, all people have an opportunity to experience great joy. We can say to every human being, God loves you. God has acted on your behalf. God has done what's best for you. He's sacrificed for you. He's given His very best for you. That's why John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. That's why you see it in the end zones of football games. That's why it's the first verse we memorize as, as kids. That's why we share it with unbelievers. That's why... It's been used by God to bring so many people to to salvation because it, in, in just a few short words, expresses the free offer of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no limits to this offer. It goes out to all people, to every ethnic group, to every age group, to every socioeconomic group, and best of all, to every degree of sinner to the really bad, to the totally terrible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, whoever, it's indiscriminate, it's universal. Yes, the offer goes to all people. But all people will not receive the offer. All people will not embrace the love of God. God's love is offered to all the world But the benefits, the benefits of God's love belong only to that part, that subset. If the, the, the set is all people, only the benefits go to that subset of the world that receives and believes. The Apostle John makes this clear. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive Him, talking of Christ, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, His name, His authority, who He is. He, God, gave the right to become children of God. Only those who receive and believe have the right to become children of God. Only those who... Only those will inherit the full measure of His love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son that whoever believes in Him... Just a few observations about believing. We tend to water it down. We tend to make it an intellectual decision to to believe certain truths, certain lists of truths, like believing, uh, I believe it's true, George Washington was the first president of the United States. But believing in the Bible means much more than just intellectually agreeing that something's true. More than saying, yes, I believe that Jesus was a real person. It's more than saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or even more than saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins. The Greek word for believes means to embrace something as true. It means to trust in or or entrust yourself to it. To give yourself to it. It means to give yourself to the object of your belief. That your belief will impact your life. The belief that Jesus calls for is similar to the belief we have uh, in those, hopefully, in those we choose to marry. When two people get married, they, they, they are saying we believe in one another. 
We trust one another. We're giving ourselves exclusively to one another. In Scripture, Jesus is pictured as the the bridegroom. And the church, us, is pictured as the bride. They use this illustration. Belief in Jesus means to give yourself completely to Him as in marriage. Believing in Him for your life. Trusting in Him for your salvation. That's the kind of belief we're talking about. And for those who believe, there are two results that God's uh, loving sacrifice gives. First, for God so loved the world, He gave His only one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Those who receive God's love, those who believe, will not perish. They will not die spiritually. Or, or as verse 18, just a, two verses down in John chapter 3 puts it, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Do you realize that without Him, you're already condemned? The world, you're born condemned. But with Christ, you're not condemned. Whoever believes is not condemned to this eternal separation from God. In fact, they get the exact opposite. The second result of our belief, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This doesn't simply mean that you exist forever. Everybody exists forever. We're eternal beings. We have a spirit, a soul that God created to exist forever. But not everyone has eternal life. Eternal life comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Nicodemus earlier in this same chapter, John chapter 3, it's really a good chapter, you should read it. You must be born again, he says. Spirit gives birth to spirit, and we have a spiritual life. This spiritual, eternal life comes as a result of the love God has for the world, but it only comes to those who receive his love and believe in Christ. And that's our our final point for today. Love comes through Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's love for the world resulted in Him giving His Son. In the next verse, in John chapter 3, verse 17, the word gave is replaced with the word send. Listen, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So the giving of verse 16 is God sending His Son into the world on a mission from heaven, a mission of love. In in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, we see what the climax of this mission is. Jesus says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The reason the Father sent the Son, the reason there is a baby in the manger, was so that the Son would lay down his life. I lay it down of my own accord, he says. The command I uh, received from my Father. So when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, the giving is God sending His Son to the earth on a mission. 
And that mission was to die. God's loving sacrifice comes through the death of Jesus Christ. John Piper says this about God's gift. He says, it's just as amazing, only a million times more. So as if you should say to your son, there is something I want you to do for me. I have some enemies that deserve to to perish, and I want you to go and, and die in their place so that they can have eternal life. Whatever else you know about God, make sure you know He is like that. One of the things we say at Bridges, uh, especially when we talk about our missionaries, is we say we, we send our very best. You know, we send, if you look in your bulletin, you have our missionaries, we send the, the very best. As one of the people that was once sent from this church, I feel a little un- uncomfortable about that statement. But in God's case, it's 100% truth. He sent his best to those who were dead in their transgression, to those who were his enemies. God gave his son. He sent his son to die in our place that we might have eternal life. Eternal life which is only found in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12, 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It couldn't be much clearer than that. What we do with Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, will determine whether we receive the benefits of God's love. God's offering Because of his love, he's offering. Whether we will have spiritual life or not depends on our response. So when we believe, when we marry ourselves to Jesus, when we completely give ourselves over to him, when we receive the offer of God's love, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. He unites us with Christ. And and when we're united with Christ who is the source of eternal life, then we receive eternal life. We receive the full benefits of God's love as if He was loving His one and only Son. He loves us. And those benefits come through Christ, through our identification, our, our, our marrying with Christ. The love we receive from the Father, this love that's offered to the world, the love that is fully given to those who believe, this love comes through Christ Jesus. So on that first uh, Christmas, over 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son. God sent His love into the world. Jesus willingly came. He willingly left His Father's side in heaven. He entered into our world. He entered as a, as a baby. And that was love. But this love culminated in the cross. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than than someone lay down his life for his friends. Love comes from God. It comes to the world. And it comes through Christ. A certain medieval monk announced he would be preaching uh, on the next Sunday evening on the love of God. 
as the, the shadows fell and the light ceased to, to come in through the cathedral windows. This is before electricity. The congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and he carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. Next, the two uh, wounded hands. Then the marks of the spear wound. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and left. There was nothing left to say. Jesus Christ is the, the visual manifestation of God's love. The love he's given to you and me. And this morning, as we conclude, I just need, need to challenge us with two ways we can respond to God's love. First, first and, and they build on one another. First, we have to embrace it. We have to hold on to it. We have to believe it. Whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, believe in the love of God that sent Jesus Christ. Give yourself completely to Him. For He's given you His very best. And second, once you've done that, recognize the great gift you've been given. For those who believe in Christ, we've also been entrusted with God's love. Did you understand that? The, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We, are the, we, we must be the most loving people on this planet. This love that resulted in, in, in Him sending Jesus into this world now results in Jesus sending us into the world. Jesus said to His disciples, John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent Me, even so I'm sending you. The Father sent Jesus because of His love for the world. Jesus now sends His followers, His believers, those who trust in Him, His church, His body. He now sends us in the same way for the same reason. Because of His love for the world. Because of Jesus' love for us, we can now love His world. But loving means leaving. For Jesus, it meant going, leaving heaven, going to uh, be part of a poor family. It meant being born in a stable. For us, it means, for us, it means leaving the things of this world. Loving means going. For Jesus meant going into this... uh, I I mix these up. Leaving was leaving His Father in heaven. Going was going to the the stable. For us, it means leaving the things of this world. And love means sacrificing. For Jesus, it meant a sacrificial death on the cross. It meant dying for the sins of us all. For us, it means sacrificing our lives to share the message of John 3.16 with a lost world. We must tell everyone, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. My prayer is that during this Christmas season and beyond, that we as a church as a people of God, will believe and embrace this love that God has for us. That we allow that love, that love that comes through Christ, 
That love that is demonstrated by God when He sent His one and only Son into our world. That that love would compel us to reach out in love to those that God has placed in our world. Would you pray with me to that end? Lord God, thank You so much for Your love. Without it, we would all, every one of us, every man, woman, and child on this planet would be lost and condemned and separated from You for all eternity. But You chose to intervene. You chose in love to send Jesus to die in our place. To reconcile us. To bridge that gap between God and man. Lord, thank You so much for that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted in You, hasn't given themselves to You, I pray that they would do that. Even right now, they would offer up a silent prayer. Lord, I believe. I trust in You. I want Your love. I receive it and I believe in Christ who brought it. Lord, I pray for that. And Lord, I pray for all of us Lord, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, if we've received His love, if we've trusted in Him, Lord, then we are people who are being transformed. We are people who have the love of Christ within us. Lord, I pray that we would be people who take that into our, into our world, into our homes, and into our neighborhoods, and into our places of work. Lord, and for some of us, it it might mean leaving and and crossing oceans, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who take the love of Christ to the ends of this earth. And it's in your name we pray.